welcome to Saber Metrics, also known as I Got Sucked Off by Historical King Arthur. My name is Sierra, my pronouns are she, her. I'm Dustin, my pronouns are he, they. And this podcast is a critical and sincere examination of the Fate series. Uh, we are talking about days 10, 10, 11, 12? Or is it 9, 10, 11? Yes. 10, 11, 12. Yeah, 10 through 12. Uh, 10, 11, 12 of the final route of Fate Stay Night, uh, Heaven's Feel. And hey, they just put all the good shit in here. They, they just made this the good route. What if this was the one yeah. that was actually interesting? I was a little skeptical at first about whether or not Heaven's Feel would actually live up to the hype that was placed mm-hmm. on it by uh, people who have read the visual novel. And so far, it is shockingly living up to that. Well, like, after... After last uh, uh, recording, I was like trying to tamp down my expectations. I was like hitting a point where I was like, "Yo, this shit might actually kick ass. Yo, this yeah. shit might actually kick ass." Because uh, we was, had really good days in the other routes. Before yeah, exactly. As well. <laughs> but like, we had really good stretches where we were super high on it, and then immediately after that, we were immediately down on it. Uh, I'm thinking specifically of Unlimited Blade Works, where like yeah, we, yeah, we just there's hit a point like where a stretch like, of days in the middle of that there that are like really good, mm-hmm. and then it's just kind of all downhill from there. And, but this time, no, we're just. We're just getting like six days of back-to-back good shit. Yeah, it's it's great. Yeah, it rules. Uh, so let's go ahead and start on day ten. Um, the next morning, Sakura and Shiro greet each other awkwardly in the living room before sitting down to eat. Uh, is uh, if you remember, um, they, they just had sex for the first time last night. Writer <laughs> uh, sits uh, down right next to Sakura. Uh, go ahead. What I was gonna say is this morning after scene is like legitimately very charming it's very it's adorable like this is like again that shit that we never get with saber or with rin uh, uh, where like i don't buy them as a couple i don't buy them as having like romantic interest i don't buy them as like being able to have these morning after scenes but like with sakura and shiro this immediately makes sense to me there's no other way this scene could have gone and it is like deeply heartwarming and charming to see yeah uh, Ryder sits down right next to Sakura, making it difficult for Shiro to eat like he normally would. Ryder offers to leave if her presence is annoying to him, but Sakura insists that Shiro doesn't think that. Shiro says he just feels weird that Ryder isn't eating anything. He was used to Saber joining him for meals. Ryder replies, I am not interested in how humans consume nutrition, and your matters, manners do not suit me. Reading between the lines, Shiro says he'll get her a spoon she can use instead of chopsticks. Uh, Sakura decides to chip in and make an omelet for her. Uh, I do like how Ryder is being characterized a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, in many ways, like she's more similar to Saber than you might expect. Uh, so the thing I actually really like about uh, um, Ryder is both that she's kind of like Saber, but... Uh... More than that, she, like, in the same way that Shiro is like Saber, uh, uh, Ryder is like Sakura. And, like, that is that is genuinely charming to see. Because we'll see yeah. moments where, like, Ryder is being emotive and evocative where Sakura can't be, or vice versa. And, like, it is charming to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shiro decides to skip school for the remainder of the war. He was only going there to meet with Rin anyway, and they're now officially enemies. <laughs> we'll see how long that lasts. Uh... Sakura would prefer not to fight, so Shiro has resolved to win the grail for her. If Rin chooses to get in his way, he'll fight her. However, he'd prefer to give something as dangerous as the grail to a more accomplished magus like Rin. Uh, he, 
he assures Sakura that if it came down to it, Rin would use the Grail to save her. It's not just going to sit... He's not just going to sit back and put all the burden on Rin's shoulders, though, especially since it was his choice to protect Sakura. Ryder agrees that Shiro is correct to come up with a plan of attack. Before they get to that, though, Shiro asks Ryder why she doesn't take off her blindfold. Sakura strongly objects. Ryder explains that she doesn't have full control of her eyes, and it'd be difficult to keep herself from accidentally targeting him. The effect would be lessened now that Shiro knows about them, though. Sakura still objects to Ryder taking off her blindfold, stating her eyes do more than just petrify. Shiro relents and agrees to let Ryder keep it on, even though it does bother him a little. Ryder explains she doesn't like revealing her face and asks him not to bring up the subject again. Uh, back on topic, Ryder asks him what he intends to do about Zoken. Shiro thinks their best option is to cooperate with another master. Rin isn't going to be cooperative anymore, but he suspects that Ilya and Berserker might recognize the danger posed by Zoken and help them take him out. Plus, he wants to warn Ilya about the shadow before he has a chance to catch her by surprise. Sakura warns Ryder to go with him to the castle, but both Shiro and Ryder agree that it would be, that it would be best for Ryder to look after Sakura. <laughs> As Shiro leaves the house, Ryder speaks to him privately and asks why he chose to protect, protect Sakura. He straightforwardly said, tells her it's natural for him to protect the woman he loves. If he does manage to obtain the rail, he intends to use it to bring her happiness. Ryder is surprised by this response, but appears satisfied. Shiro then makes a request of Ryder to use a different accent when pronouncing, pronouncing his name. Shiro does not explain why, and Ryder, out of politeness, does not inquire, but the way she addresses him reminds him too much of Saber. Uh, I actually kind of like this scene, mm -hmm. um, because it shows that, like, it, it, it is sort of relying on Shiro and Saber's relationship in the previous two routes being expanded on more. Um, but I do like that it, it builds off that to be like, you know, Shiro and Saber did really like each other. Uh, and he's having a real rough time just having her taken out suddenly like that without even knowing truly what happened to her. Yeah, I mean, I, that is one thing that this route does surprisingly cleverly. Like, it makes sense that this has to be the last route because a lot of things that happen in the, uh, like, fate route are kind of implicit. Like, those first couple of days, they had to abridge all of the shit that happened in the Fate route, because a lot of it probably still happened. Like, a lot of the shit with Saber uh, uh, probably still happened to a degree. Um, yeah. And, and so, like, it makes sense that they had to abridge it, but, like, it, it is clever to use that to abridge it and then tell something a little more clever and to, lever, to layer on top of those previous routes. Yeah, it's I, I and I, I really like it. I also really like how uh, Shiro and Ryder are interacting. Mm -hmm. Where like they're not close, uh, but they're they both respect each other. Yeah, man, I'm uh, gonna be so annoyed if I end up with this game being like, yeah, okay. So listen, listen, you have to get through two routes that I think are bad, but the act of having <laughs> read them is good. Not, not reading them's bad. Reading them's bad, having read them, good. I need you to understand. Once they're done, you're done. Uh, it gets better 60 hours in. It gets better 60... Well, it gets interesting 60 hours in. Yeah. Uh, back at home, Sakura grapples with her conflicted emotions. She wants Shiro to stay home and be safe, but it makes her happy that he is fighting and getting hurt for her sake. 
uh, quote, she wants him to fight. She wants him to save her. She wants him to answer her to make up for all the times he did not. For that reason, he can get hurt, end quote. Uh, which is an interesting conflict. Uh, um, and also... So I, I think it is important to acknowledge... Kind of understandable. <laughs> I think it's important to acknowledge like what comes immediately before that, which is that she says, uh, what a lie. Those two ideas are not competing at all. With a pain member, she acknowledges the darkness within her. And so like she inherently thinks that like this is... Uh, again, her condemning herself for, like, an entirely understandable emotion. Uh, um, yeah. Also, like, yeah, man, you're bitter because you've been abused for years. And, like, Shiro willfully is willfully ignorant. Like, as a matter of habit, Shiro chooses to be ignorant over things that are uncomfortable for him. Like, that yeah. is a literal character trait of his. Yeah, it's, and so it's like she has this thing where... You know, she wants to be with him and she does care about him. But at the same time, like, through his own willful negligence, she suffered more than she had to. And so she kind of she kind of wants him to get hurt a little bit. Not not enough that, like, he's put in serious moral danger, but enough to, like, teach him a lesson to stop being such a fucking asshole. I mean, I don't even need it necessarily as I mean, part of it is definitely like. He can suffer for her because she suffered. But part of it is also, like, that's proof positive that he is actively doing something this time. It, it, it is someone else suffering that as well, instead yes. of her in this case. Like, hey, he is doing something this time. He is uh, uh, working to take care of her. It, it's part pettiness. It's part proof that, like, something is different this time around. It is really complicated and messy. And, like, that that's actually the thing I like most about this route is it's not afraid to be complicated and messy. Whereas, like... Fate was fucking terrified of letting things get complicated. Yeah. And Unlimited Blade Works is, like, messy, but not in an interesting or an emotional way. It is, like, the emotional conflict is resolved in, like, 30 seconds, and it's just Shiro repeating the same question over and over again for fucking five days yeah. straight with no actual progress made. Whereas this is, like, a character having, like, deep emotional trauma that she is trying to reckon with, and is actively struggling with. <laughs> uh, so she orders Ryder to go with Shiro, uh, knowing it will shorten her life. Uh, she explains she won't last long oh. anyway. Um, Folks, go ahead. There was also one other thing that happens during that scene, which is sure. uh, Sakura does frame... There, there's an implication of like perverse sexual pleasure from uh, uh, Shiro being harmed. Um, yeah. And like... This is likely me giving too much credit to the work. On the other hand, it has been, like, putting in the legwork for it. But part of it is, like, this conflation between, or from Sakura's perspective, of violence and sex and pleasure all being, like, synonymous within or with each other. Because that's, like, the only spaces in which she has been able to experience sex ever. And, like violence and sex have been linked implicitly for her for her whole life. Yeah. Um, and like, it, it is almost doing something here. Um, and then it kind of devolves back into just her self-flagellating um, because of experiencing any personal desire again. Um, but it, it, it is almost doing something there that I don't know if it's going to make good on. Um, but it, 
yeah, I, I feel like it is just worth mentioning. Yeah, um, I should note that, like, uh, Heaven's Feel is a little harder to write a summary for than the other two <laughs> yeah. reads. Uh-huh. Especially um, now, we're getting so many interval cuts. Yeah, there's a lot of interludes, there's a lot of, like, internal monologues happening. There's a lot of stuff that's just kind of hard to put in a summarized form, uh, except for, like, just quoting it verbatim. Uh, so there's some stuff that I sort of deliberately skip um, mm-hmm. at times just to keep it manageable. So if I skip anything that you want to touch on, uh, yeah. feel free to interrupt. I, I, I will interject if I think it is something that is, like, thematically or, like, uh, important for, like, things I want to talk about in general. But, yeah. I, I don't want to say, like, yeah, you should play this route. Uh, uh, you just have to play the two bad routes first. But, like, yeah, man, <laughs> you should play this route. You just have to play the two bad routes first. Uh, or at the very least, watch the Unlimited Blade Works anime. I mean, it, it, you have to watch the Unlimited Blade Works anime and then also find a save file that has the two routes played. Because you literally yeah, can't that's... access the route without yeah. having them been played. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, this game's dumb as hell. It rules. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so Sakura explains that she won't last long anyway. Her senses and memory have already started failing to the point where a day doesn't even flow properly for her. A writer agrees to go after him and advises Sakura that they should be more wary of Kyrie than Zoken. Sakura reassures Ryder that Kyrie cannot beat her, which is ominous uh-huh well i mean we know it's true <laughs> yeah <laughs> well uh, we eventually like very clearly know it's true uh-huh. at, that's at what i mean I, you and when i say we i mean you and i know it's true because we played this route even if we haven't given the full summary yet yeah uh as shiro makes his way through the forest he suddenly runs into rin who is equally surprised to be beating him shiro explains he's here to try and convince Ilya to help sakura Meanwhile, Rin came to warn Ilya that Zokin is up to something. It'd be bad for everyone if Zokin were to puppet Berserker like he did to Caster. Uh-huh. However, Rin suspected that Ilya would attack her regardless of her intentions. Now that Shiro is, is here, though, he might be able to accomplish both their goals without anyone having to fight. And if he, and if he fails, then Rin will back him up. Yeah, so Rin's uh, hostility does not last long. No, as usual it does with not. Rin. <laughs> Uh, all of a sudden, the whole forest seems to shake. Berserker is fighting something, which can only mean one thing. They both rush to the castle to investigate. We cut to an interlude just before the battle. Ilya has already sensed the approaching threat and fortified her castle. However, Berserker has ordered her to run away uh, with basically the the last shreds of his ha- of his sanity. Like, Ilya is like, oh shit, Berserker has enough of him, himself left that he's telling me to run away. That's probably significant. Uh-huh, yeah, it's not great. Uh, yeah, uh, understanding the significance of a rational thought coming from Berserker, Ilya immediately flees the castle and r- runs into the forest. Berserker carries her through the woods as a shadow begins to engulf her castle. However, Zokin interrupts their flight. His plan has been going smoothly so far, but he wants some insurance. He's come to take Ilya's body, uh, which, as we know, can be a vessel for the Grail. Uh, he also reveals that Ilya's artificially created body likely won't last for another year. 
Ilya thinks he's completely lost his way if he's so desperate, desperate to prolong his life that he'd sacrifice anything and everything for it. Quote, Recall where our desire for a miracle came came from, she says. Why are we why we are particular about having human form, and why we are trying to reach an inhuman place while keeping our human form, end quote. Zokin appears shaken by the sudden insight from Ilya, but quickly brushes, brushes her off. He mentions that Justice's mimicry is already imprinted on her. Um, there's some lore being dropped by these two who clearly know more about what's really going on with the grail war than uh, we have been told so far. I, I do think it is worth pointing out. This might be the latest we get like significant amounts of Ilya. Like th this is the furthest along in the grail war. I think that we get like long conversations with Ilya. Uh, and yeah. this Ilya clearly knows more than the Ilya on the heaven or the, the Ilya when we met her on the Unlimited Blade Works or the Fate Route, like it feels like the same thing that was happening with Shiro uh, in Unlimited Blade Works is happening to Ilya, where she is getting access yeah. to knowledge she shouldn't have. Yeah, uh, she's she's even acting somewhat um, strangely as well. Mm -hmm. she, uh, she is like this is the first route where I would buy. Oh yeah, she she's been around for like eighteen years, huh? Yeah, she she's actually speaking like an 18-year-old uh, yes. in this conversation with Soken, which is interesting that she's that way with other people. I, it, uh, it is but interesting. Just not, it, but just not to Shiro. It is interesting. It also... Uh, she is not to Shiro up until a conversation we see later. Yes, that is true. Uh-huh. Which uh, makes me like very important so much one. more. Like, yeah. th these three days immediately made Ilya's character slot into place for me in a way it hadn't before. Yeah, uh, Ilya, I really like Ilya in this route. Same. Um, quite a lot. Uh, a little bit after this moment, Ren and Shiro reach the battlefield to find Berserker fighting two servants at once. Assassin and another that looks strangely familiar. This servant, um, th though she's not given this, uh, n this particular designation yet, uh, is known as Saber Alter. Uh... Her silver armor has been tainted black with little red streaks that look almost like blood vessels. Her skin is much paler, like porcelain, and her eyes are covered by a black mask that looks somewhat like an upside-down crown. Her sword is also black with glowing red symbols running up the blade. Uh, Alter is easily cutting through Berserker's flesh, and the giant is having his movement restricted by tendrils coming out of the black pond that is formed beneath his feet. Seeing that the battle is uh, going his way, Zokin retreats and tells Assassin to capture Ilya once Berserker has been consumed. The Shadow must not take Ilya. Ilya begs her servant to run away, but he keeps fighting. Sensing that Alter is going to use her noble phantasm to finish off Berserker, Shira runs from, uh, out from hiding to drag Ilya to safety. Berserker's last attack breaks Alter's mask, revealing that Saber's irises and pupils have now turned an unnatural gold color. Sh Shiro shakes off his mixed emotions of seeing seeing Saber again and runs away. Um, any, which is actually kind of interesting to me because, like, uh, Shir the Shiro of the Fate Route would absolutely be, be the guy who was like, "Saber, it's me." Listen, don't don't hurt me. It's it's your good buddy. It is here where he like makes his uh last stand strike or is that later? 
it, it's uh it is soon after okay. this, I believe. Um yeah. Yeah, Alter tries to attack but is uh forced to parry arrow shot by Archer. Um as the two begin to fight, Alter tells him that true heroic spirits cannot oppose the layer of the cursed world. Despite Archer's power, Alter easily hits him with a blow that sends him back, flying backwards. Uh, Saber is about to cut his head off at the neck when she suddenly stops and jumps back. The shadow entity appears before them. Alter tells Assassin she'll leave the rest to him, then sinks back into the mud. Yeah, I believe it's in this scene where, yes. like, uh, Shiro, like, uh, parries, uh, tries to parry one of her strikes. So, uh, there is something important here, which is, uh, uh, Shiro specifically says, uh, uh, going to, or going for taking your life with somebody, er, taking somebody's life with you is ineffective, uh, uh, because that only works if they're as equally skilled as you. Your only possible route to success is to envision total victory and go for that. And so he aims for trying to kill Saber. Like, he, yeah. He is willing to make that sacrifice. He is willing to kill her. Um, but it, that specific mindset is, I think, important because it is the first time we see shiro envision a world in which he wins and lives in which he is not burning his life for everything yeah um which Um. makes the rest of this route slightly more tragic (laughs) yeah uh let me see here where did i leave off all right yeah uh rin Ilya, and shiro make a run for it all the while being hounded by assassin He's a little match for Archer, though, who quickly takes up the rear to defend them. Assassin is surprised that Archer can put up a fight in these conditions, to which Archer explains that he's a distorted hero as well, and is thus not as severely inhibited by by the shadow. Mm -hmm. However, Rin stops a moment to rest, giving the entity a chance to come up behind her and attack. Archer intercepts and gets stabbed by the shadow tentacles instead. The entity suddenly begins to throb and expand like a water balloon that's about to burst. Archer pulls the tentacle out of himself and rushes to protect Rin. Meanwhile, Shiro tackles Ilya to the ground. At that instant, the entity explodes, filling Shiro's vision with black. He loses his sense of touch, like his body no longer exists. Eventually, his vision returns and he sees Ryder speaking to Archer. He is talking to her about transplanting part of his body to Shiro's. Normally, someone couldn't survive attaching a spirit body to a human body, but Archer and Shiro are special. Before Shiro loses consciousness again, he sees Archer run his fingers tenderly through Rin's hair and bid her farewell. Back at the house, Sakura sees what transpired through Ryder's eyes. She sees the shadow expand to cover the forest. She sees Archer die protecting Rin. Shiro was able to escape death by hiding with Ilya in a hollow pit. The shadow mostly passed over them, but his left arm was above the rim of the pit and was removed entirely. Sakura cuts off the vision by force and rushes to the bathroom to vomit. She hates herself for ever thinking that it would be good for Shiro to get injured and no longer be able to go outside. He's just been hurt in a way that threatens his life. However, after her nausea lets up, she smiles as she thinks that surely he won't be able to fight anymore. Uh, so... Again, we have Sakura, like, I mean, we, we can just stop her. The shadow is Sakura, like, it, it, or is like an aspect of Sakura to some degree. Like, th- this is the thing that is made explicitly yeah. clear in these three days. 
Um, yeah, uh, not specifically here because they do no. have the part where she says she's seeing it through the rider's eyes. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, but I, I mention it just because, like, again, we have uh, uh, Sakura blaming herself for a. Th- I mean, in part, like this is a thing she is responsible to a degree, and that like the shadow is what seems to be the manifestation of it, like her deeply repressed desires and wants and just fucking heartbreaking sadness. Um, but again, she is like blaming herself for a thing. She like explicitly does not have conscious control over, uh, and feels responsible for like she, she feels responsible for, and like thinking something is tantamount to having done the thing in and of itself. And so like, she feels so guilty that she vomits uh, about Shiro being hurt. Yeah. And, like, I mean, because it's a fantasy story, the metaphor is made literal and material, because in her case, yeah, her her subconscious desires are made material. But, like, that doesn't mean it is Sakura's fault explicitly, um, or at least consciously. It gets messy. Yeah. I also... This scene with Archer... Uh, like his final scene here makes me really wish that we had gotten more of this Archer and Unlimited Blade Works. Any route where he wasn't just a complete and all shit heel? Yeah, because like in this route he clearly cares about Rin a lot um, and is actually kind to her. In which this would have been really nice to see in the UBW route. It would have made like her farewell to him actually work. In this route and in the fate route, both of them, I read them him as just straight up being in love with Rin. Yeah. Like, just straight up being in love with her. Um, yeah, it, it's very much heavily implied mm-hmm. that this, the Emia that led to um, Archer is one who either had a relationship with Rin uh, or who wanted a relationship with Rin. Um So yeah, yeah, and 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 seeing again, really wish that the UBW Archer had actually acted like that occasionally instead of being like, yeah, it's fine if Shinji does what he wants with Rin. I've got myself to kill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I know I'd said before, you know, Fate and Unlimited Blade Works should have just been one route called Unlimited Blade Works. I think I've come around, and I think Fate and Unlimited Blade Works should have been one route called Fate. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, also, only other thing that I had to say about that scene is, uh, man, Shiro wants to fuck Excalibur even when it's evil, huh? Oh, yeah, uh-huh. Like, he sees Excalibur and he's immediately like, oh my god, that sword is so hot. <laughs> to be fair, it is a pretty sick-looking sword. <laughs> yeah, and now it's evil, which makes it cooler. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm not, ha- have you, okay, this is a, a fake Grand Order thing. But have you seen the uh, Saber Altar where she's got a leather jacket and a motorcycle? Uh, no, I haven't, but now I need to. Okay, hold on. Uh, let me see if I can find the Good Smile statue. Oh, uh, where is it? Dang it. There's so many fucking sabers, dude. God, 
yeah, there's look, there's a lot of there's a lot of saber altars and sabers. Um, why can I not find it now? Good smile, damn it. I know it's there. I'll just cut out all this silence. Uh -huh. Yeah, no, it's fine. I, I, I assumed as I, much. I, 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 I want to, I just have to get your reaction to this. I mean, the um, reaction okay. you're going to get is, yep, I'm definitely a lesbian. Okay, here we go. Yep, I'm a lesbian. <laughs> uh, she has a the motorcycle itself is also like just super sick too uh, this fucking rules man oh, Here, here's good. the thing being evil is incredibly hot yeah uh, uh, like that that is the one thing that fate grand order absolutely appreciates that uh that i share with it uh being evil fucking rules it is incredibly attractive people should be evil more often <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, yeah, so, so Saber Altered Rocks, uh, <laughs> alright, okay, um, yeah, so moving on from, uh, Sakura's interlude here, uh, despite being unconscious, uh, Shiro can tell what's happening to him. As Archer's arm is attached to where his, uh, own used to be, he can feel Archer's knowledge flooding into his mind. For a moment, it feels like too much to handle, and he tries to reject it. But then he wakes up and sees Ilya staring at him with concern. She hugs him, exclaiming how glad she is that he's alive. As he's about to ask her what happened, he feels a severe jolt of pain. She tells him to repress his left arm. He uses what little magic he has to create a barrier against the foreign substance. At this point, Kyrie appears to explain the situation. It was Archer's wish to have Kyrie transplant his left arm onto Shiro's body. Since it has been connected to Shiro's magic circuit, it stays in the world by using his magical energy. Since both of them were fatally injured, Archer sacrificed his body so at least one of them could live. Shiro can't move the arm right now, but eventually it will be familiarized to his body. However, he must not use the arm's power. Uh, his body won't be able to withstand Archer's magic, and it will break down. Kyrie wrapped the arm in a special cloth to keep it suppressed. As long as it remains covered, his body will treat the arm as a different object, even if he uses magic. It's only a temporary measure, though, as magic from the arm will still leak through. The only way to live to an old age is to become a great enough magus to match the arm. Kyrie estimates Shiro has ten years to accomplish this. Which, I mean, you know, uh, that's like, that's, that's not a small amount of time. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a while. <laughs> the way he says that 10 years, though, like, everything about this conversation, he's like, oh, yeah, you could have 10 years. He knows he doesn't have fucking 10 years. He's telling him all this because yeah. he knows Shiro's gonna tap that fucking power. Mm-hmm, yeah. Again, uh, Kyrie does things because it'll he thinks it'll lead to suffering, and that dude loves suffering. Kyrie does shit for the lulz. Uh... Shiro and Ilya leave Kyrie's operating room and meet Rin, who's waiting in the chapel. Kyrie asks her what she intends to do now, since the only remaining masters with servants are Sakura and Zokin. Rin, however, does not intend to forfeit. 
She, believe, she briefly reveals her true intentions, saying that neither giving up nor letting Zoken win will save Sakura. Shiro also says he plans to keep fighting. Kire states that there is a hopeless difference in their powers, but, quote, Mato Zoken is a weak person. I am sure you can devise some plan, end quote. Shiro asks Ilya to stay at his place since her castle is no longer safe. She refuses, though, stating, quote, that woman is at your place, end quote. So, however, let's go ahead. I was going to say, before we move on, we should talk about that Kyrie scene. Sure. Um, so that, there's there's a lot here. Uh, the first is like, yeah. hey, we have Shiro and Archer, two people who, okay, so first, Shiro and Archer, the whole previous route was how they are fundamentally incompatible beings who cannot achieve uh, a, like, consensus in any way. Uh, and in this route, the one where he abandons his ideals for a different set of ideals that are focused on the material people around him, uh, and where Archer does the same, is the first route where we see them actually achieve a synthesis in a literal, yeah, literally. real way. They, they <laughs> yeah. literally become a singular being. Um, Shiro also mentions that the left arm is just a piece of metal. One might feel constricted like this if one became a tin man. And a Again, we're seeing Shiro describing himself in terms of being made of metal, being a robot, being a puppet. Uh, uh, Shiro as an instrument of violence again. Like, we are getting this repeated imagery of Shiro as uh, uh, inhuman and made of metal. And, like, now his body is literally that. Um, And, like, that that is going to be significant moving forward. Um, The other thing is... This is also the first time where we know, where we have explicit confirmation, Shiro and Rin have a wish for the Grail. Yeah, they they both they both want to save Sakura. Yes, uh, um, like both of them before this route had just been fighting because they were supposed to fight in the Grail or to stop other people. But like, this is the first route where they have an active desire, and like a lot of this route to me at least, has been about, like, wanting and desiring things and striving for them is part of, like, being alive and being a person. Like, that that is, like, part of personhood, and to deny that is to deny part of your personhood. It, like, and so, like, that is what makes the Grail tempting. And Shiro bar- basically considering himself dead on arrival for like the past 10 years since he was rescued is the sole reason why he doesn't have any of these desires before now yeah um yeah and and so now but now he realizes oh i actually have a reason to like live oh right (laughs) i have there's a person who cares about me i have reasons to live i have people i care about i like care about things in like a material and real and immediate way um, there, there is a scene coming up later that I think is going to be super fucking important to talk about, uh, which is when he loosens the Shroud of Martin. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think the important thing here is that recognition that, like, this is the first route where A, Shiro and Archer both abandon their ideals and their goals, and B, are able to achieve a synthesis. Um, and that synthesis is one that allows them to be a fuller more satisfied person even if that is like a painful thing to achieve or potentially at least yeah 
Um, and Kyrie also says, uh, uh, to save a life is to satisfy one's desire. No fucking clue what that means. No idea. <laughs> Kyrie, man, I think you're just saying shit. <laughs> um, yeah, that, I, I just, all of that I thought was worth mentioning and important to talk about, like, thematically. Yeah, I, I do also like Kyrie stating that uh, Mato Zoken is weak. Mm-hmm. Um, because it backs up basically what uh, Ilya was saying in her confrontation with Zoken, where she's like legitimately surprised and disgusted that Zoken would be so obsessed with clinging on to a, a to immortality, you know, even as his soul rots away. Yeah, I, I mean, and she 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 views him as pathetic because like he can't accept that to be mortal is to be temporary. Yeah, I, I think we should circle back to that after the Shroud of Martin Loosening scene, because yeah. I, I think there is a lot to talk about there. Uh, anyway, uh, Ilya doesn't want to stay at Rin's place either, though, and insists that she should go back to her castle. Rin's, Rin tries to goad Ilya into making the safe choice by remarking to Shiro that in spite of everything he's done for her, Ilya apparently still hates him and doesn't want to stay at his tiny house. Ilya continues to make vague objections, which Rin deliberately twists to make it seem like Ilya either hates or doesn't trust Shiro. Ilya can't win against Rin's rhetorical skills, and she eventually agrees to say it, stay at Shiro's place. Uh, Rin using her powers for good. Mm-hmm. Uh, before Shiro leaves the chapel, Kyrie warns him that, so- that keeping Sakura alive will mean sacrificing his own body by fighting. Uh, yeah, definitely never seen him do that before. No. <laughs> it's definitely not what he's done every time he fought Gilgamesh in the last two routes. No, definitely not. Uh, Rin meets Shiro outside and declares her intent to cooperate with him again to defeat Zoken. Shiro is delighted by this and shakes her hand. Rin then asks him if he knows whose arm he has he has now. He nods. Rin smiles and says, quote, Then you're my servant from now on, Shiro, end quote. Uh, Ilya objects, saying Shiro is her servant, so Rin can't have him. The two then argue about who is most deserving of laying claim to Shiro's life. Eventually, the girls ask Shiro for his opinion. Uh, I should note, in the efforts, in, in, in full disclosure, I double-checked the point requirements. Because uh-huh. to make sure I would be safe if I chose Rin I, I knew you would, that's why I picked Ilya. Um, there, uh, <laughs> there is no more Ilya checks as far as I'm aware. It's just Sakura checks from here out. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, if Shiro I, chooses I like Rin, that you can Ilya... get Rin points and there is no Rin point check. Yeah, yeah, nothing at all. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, it's, just the, it's just the principle of the thing. Uh, if Shiro <laughs> chooses Rin, Ilya is dumbfounded. Quote, why? Rin's oppressive, greedy, and loud like a mina bird, but you still like her more? Are you a pervert? End quote. Um, I mean, <laughs> if you pick Ilya, basically she, er, Shiro basically says, uh, yeah, like she is family. I see myself as her guardian in a way. Like it, it is only reasonable for me to want to take care of her. And Rin is like, for a brief second, is kind of surprised. Or both of them are, and is like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And then roasts him for being basically into little girls. Um, which that's not great. I don't like those nope. jokes. Nope. Um, but it, it is also like very clearly her uh, 
feeling hurt and lashing out for that. But also, like, you don't need to make those jokes, game. Uh, you really didn't. I, I, yeah. I appreciate that Shiro, like, didn't, like, even intimate in any way that it was horny. And it was just literally, yeah, yes. I see myself as a person who is responsible for her and wants to take care of her as, like, a guardian and caregiver. Because, like, she's family. Yeah, so far the game, despite my fears, has done a good job avoiding that sort of intimation. So, well, uh, there is one scene. Okay, well, <laughs> anyway, I, I do like the the joke that Ilya makes. Yes, I do too. <laughs> if you choose, Rin. Uh, Shiro insists it's not like that. He can't stop Zoken by himself, and it was Archer who saved his life. Because of that, he'll give Rin the right to command him. On their way back home, Rin briefly parts ways to go back to go pack some things from her house. Now that everyone's working together, it just makes sense to make his house the main base of operations. Ilya follows along, stating that Rin wants her help with something. Rin confirms this, explaining they'll need one or two secret weapons. Uh, they name them as uh, Kisher's Keepsake and Zell Schweinorg's Treasure. Uh, we do not have any context for that just yet. Um, I assume it's wizard we shit. The, yep. Uh, we cut to the church where Gilgamesh is asking Kyrie if he truly does not have a wish. Quote, I have no interest in a machine that grants wishes, Kyrie says. The same should go for you, Gilgamesh. Our goals are not our wishes. We are merely seeking pleasure because it is, because it is more fun that way. It's like eating food. A wish is something that, that is answered, but humans will not be saved if a wish grants itself, end quote. Uh, we then get a flashback. Mm-hmm. As a child, Kyrie was gifted to his father on a pilgrimage in 1967. He grew up just as talented as his father expected, but he found himself unable to love his father. He could not understand the, quote, beauty his father spoke of. The only things he considered beautiful were the kind of things most other people would consider ugly or evil. He flagellated himself in an attempt to pursue the beauty that he could not find within himself. His father spent over ten years on his pilgrimage wearing thorn shoes. Thinking that God might save him, Kyrie devoted himself to the church, but he still could not find any pleasure greater than the pain of others. He resigned himself to his nature but the answer that still plagued him him was why his mind was this way. If he took joy in evil because it satisfied some base desire or benefited him personally, then he could understand. But why why someone like him, uh, why would someone like him who came into the world broken be allowed to exist? If he was defective, he should not have even been born. His thoughts return to the present, and he answers Gilgamesh, quote, I sought the Holy Grail ten years ago because it tried to exist, end quote. He then presents a question to the king. What if I do not ask for answers, but instead create something from the Holy Grail that can give the answer? Uh, yeah, this this backstory on Kyrie uh, is interesting. Um, yeah. Um... Because he is a person who... Um, sort of didn't understand why his brain was the way it was. Um, and no one really tried to help him. Yeah, I mean, like, his education was that of, like, well, obviously that the way you make good with God is a, a self-flagellation and uh, pain and physical 
punishment. And like, yeah, man, no wonder you found no beauty in that. Like, uh, no wonder that like that is a thing that it is hard for you to find beauty in. Like, the way things are paired or good was paired with things definitely did not help him find value in it. Yeah. Um, like, also, what's interesting is that it it is kind of a mirror of. Um, like Sakura. young Kyrie is kind of a mirror of, of what Sakura is going through right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Um, he, he is a Sakura who gave up and said, fuck it. I don't care anymore. Like th- yeah. that, that is like the ultimate sin of Kyrie. It, it is not that like he is a person who found pleasure in the pain of others or anything like that. It is that he gave up and said, no, I don't, I don't care anymore. Fuck it. There's no reason or justification for me to be good. I, I, it does not give me pleasure, and therefore it is not valuable. Like his his initial faulty premise is that in order for in order for good to be valuable, it has to be pleasurable. Um, and like that is where he falters to me, um, because he can't find any value in being good beyond just thinking it is pleasurable, or beyond thinking it is pleasurable for things to be good. Yeah. Um. And, like, that is, he has fully consigned himself to, ah, I'm just going to be fucking sicko mode Joker the evil man, uh, because there's no reason to do otherwise. <laughs> uh, and, like, for all of his Jokerification, like, he seems like a deeply sad person. Yeah. Who, who, like, fundamentally does not understand why he is like this and wishes he could be otherwise, but... Uh, and has spent his whole life trying to do the work of being otherwise and has been working at cross-purposes, and so has gone nowhere. Yeah, and has also spent a lot of his life trying to figure out why he even exists in the per- in the first place. Mm-hmm. Because, um, like, if... Because he, he was raised as, as like, in a, as a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, if he, if he believes himself to be fundamentally fundamentally and irreparably broken uh then he has to ask the question well then why would god allow something like me to exist um yeah and and he has that same question about the grail because he knows what the grail is as well Mm -hmm. Uh, he knows these he knows the truth that that the grail is also a fundamentally broken and evil thing yes um he's and that's why he sought it. It it's interesting to see a person just so fundamentally misread their situation. Well, also like <laughs> his question is like he has taken maybe one of the single greatest questions of especially Christian theology, which is the fundamental question of evil, which is yeah. If God is all good, why does God let there be evil in the world? And like hey man, you're a priest. There's like a lot of theologians who have like a lot of different theories behind why like there yeah th- there's a lot of answers for this man i don't know why you're pretending there's not there's yeah, a whole bunch, there's a whole host of reasons yeah and instead of like and instead of like doing that he just decides oh well clearly uh evil is also good uh-huh he, he just <laughs> becomes jokerified yeah like, um, and like it, that that i think is like actually curious sin it, it is that like he stops struggling and he gives up and he did not have, I mean, that, that's part of it is he stops struggling and he gives up. Uh, the other part of it is like, he clearly does not have people around him to care for him or support yeah. him or help him in any real way. Like 
the only person he had who cared for him was his father, who is a man who would walk with shoes made of thorns. Like, uh, yeah, that I, that dude's I, not gonna understand. Yeah, I I'm not saying for sure he's not a great uh, role model. I'm just saying, you know, uh, that man may have had uh, an idea of reparations that involved the cat of nine tails. Yeah, Pro- probably was. Probably was not a like someone who could actually answer the questions that Kire had about himself. Yeah, uh-huh, at least not, not in a way that would be useful. No, not in a way that would not fuck him up further. Yeah. Um. um yeah. So Kyrie is much more interesting in this route to me. Mm-hmm. Um. We come back to Shiro, who is having trouble making his way back home. Every time he moves his left arm, it gets hot and tries to dissipate the energy through the rest of his body, causing an intense pain that feels like being stabbed. He eventually returns home and greets Sakura as if everything is fine. Uh, she it asks is worth mentioning, like, again, we get, hey, Shiro, yeah. you got swords inside your body, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's probably fine. Uh, Sakura asks him if he's going to, mention any, going to mention his arm, and he tells her it's just wounded and nothing to worry about. She gets angry that he's lying to her. Shiro is taking it, taken aback, but admits that he shouldn't have tried to bluff and act normal. He apologizes for failing his mission and being forced to flee. This However, fucking rules. So- yeah, uh, Sakura getting like angry at him for trying to pretend that everything's okay and trying to keep her in the dark, and then him immediately going, "Oh right, yeah, that was that was dumb of me." Just her like expressing like active like emotional care and like desire for Shiro and wanting him to be okay and him immediately being like fuck you're right I, I fucked up I, I yeah. should not have done that hey you know what he didn't do at any point in uh, Unlimited Blade Works that admit any mistakes yeah like, well like there are times in Unlimited Blade Works he, where he fucking acts tough and uh, pretends again and it's like hey this is the first instance where he's like Oh, right, people care about me and, like, don't want me to be hurt. I shouldn't pretend that I'm fine when they know I'm not because, like, it doesn't help anybody. You're right. I fucked up. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's nice. It, it is genuinely pleasant. <laughs> um, uh, Sakura tells him that he's happy because he kept his promise to come home. Uh, she tells him he's good looking and she's fallen in love with him all over again. Shiro wonders aloud how to respond to that. Rin replies that she doesn't know either, but she'd like it if they didn't keep flirting right outside the door. <laughs> this is so fucking funny. These next two days are so funny for how much just, like, <laughs> fucking slice-of-life comedy shit is in here. It's yeah, great. I, yeah, the... Also, just, it's... It's, uh, it's comical that, like... The first thing, the like, Sakura's first introduction to Rin after she basically uh, said, okay, I guess I'm going to have to kill you now, is Rin, be- is Rin being like, hey, sister, can you please not flirt with your boyfriend right in front of me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, Sakura and Shiro are surprised to see her at the entrance. Meanwhile, Rin was expecting that Shiro would have already filled Sakura in on the situation instead of having a lover's quarrel. Rin explains that she's putting their fight on hold until Zoken is defeated. She's going to live here and train with Shiro. 
Dinner is tense, but it eventually concludes, and Rin and Ilya head to their rooms, leaving Shiro and Sakura alone. As Shiro wonders aloud why Ilya is being especially cold to Sakura, Sakura nearly collapses again. She quickly wakes up in Shiro's arms, and they both joke about how they'll need to make an amazing breakfast to strike back at Rin the next morning. Before they both go to bed, Sakura asks Shiro not to tell Rin about how she almost fainted, and he agrees. Shiro is woken up in the middle of the night by the heat generated by his own body. He heads outside to the shed to try and cool down, and briefly considers releasing his arm from its wrapping. He quickly realizes that would be a bad idea, though. A moment later, Ryder appears to check if he's okay. She confirms that it was her who saved Shiro on Sakura's orders. Shiro asks if she'd turn on Sakura if Sakura were to lose all her command spells. Oh, see, I I actually, uh, I, I made the other choice there, where oh, okay. I had him loosen, or think about loosening the, um, uh, the shroud. Um, and, like, even, like, starting to almost loosen it is, like, fundamentally terrifying to Shiro in, like, a deep, in, like, a bone-deep way beyond just, like, pain. Like, huh. it, it is a precursor to the uh, loosening scene we'll get in the uh, morning, I think. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Ryder says she would mercy kill Sakura if she ever requested it, but she personally wants to protect Sakura, and she'd do so even without the binding of the command spells. Ryder then asks him if he understands what Sakura has been through. Shiro has heard the basics from Kyrie, and he can easily imagine what might have happened, but he can't truly understand what it was like. Ryder is pleased by this response, and says she would have killed him if he tried to claim he understood. <laughs> Love Ryder. Mm -hmm. uh, she can see now, though, that while he is inexperienced and clumsy, he is trustworthy at his core. She then explains that, quote, Happiness for Sakura is to have you alive and for you to be by her side. There is nothing else she wishes for, end quote. Before the day turns over, we get an interlude where Sakura, in a strange dreamlike state of mind, does a few murders as a treat. Uh-huh. She she does she does do a few murders as a treat. Uh, so what this scene reminds me of is uh, uh have you seen Madoka? Yes. Uh it reminds me of Sayaka. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, uh, specifically, like th this whole interlude, it like is not clear that it's Sakura explicitly, and then you get to the ending where her VA kicks in, and it's like, oh yeah, no, it it's Sakura. Uh huh. It's it's definitely Sakura. Yeah, it's basically um, like a a woman um basically uh, seduces some uh, men, and they she she does her. not seduce men. She, oh, she right, does right. not no, she seduce them. Right. No, you're it, it right. It is no. very explicitly important to me that yes, she does correct. not do anything. They approach and attempt to assault her, and so she murders them. Yes, she just she's just walking around, I think. is She, she is, is just walking happens. around. Uh, the implication, yes. I think, is part of the description is that she is barefoot, too. Um, yes. Uh, so it, it is unclear to what degree she is necessarily clothed, I guess. Um, but... It, it is important that she does not in any way – she is non-communicative, like, flat out. She cannot communicate with them at all, and in no way is it seduces them or, like, approaches them. They follow her to the park and attempt to assault her, at which point she kills them. Yeah. Um, and, like, again, this is something she blames herself for and views herself as being responsible for, like, 
tempt like it, it, she yeah. it, the even though it was it as, their choice to follow her like uh, that <laughs> like the monologue describes it as uh i do not remember tempting them she it is the exact quote um yeah. but like even her uh, uh internal monologue frames it as it is her fault that they decide to do something to her because she is an abused child and like that is the mentality that is forced upon you and so like if something bad happens to you obviously it's your fault uh and so, like, something bad happens to her, and she has access to the ability to defend herself, and does so. Um, uh, like, this is, I literally have in my notes, Sakura's going sicko mode, baby. Uh, woo, she can have a little <laughs> a murder as a treat. Uh, yeah. And I agree, she can have little a murder as a treat. <laughs> this is justified, and she deserves it. Yeah. Uh, we then cut to day 11. Uh, Shiro has a nightmare where he's trapped in a blinding white room and a powerful wind is eroding his body. He tries my, to head to... The, the quote is, my body exposed to the wind is rusting with each passing second. And again, his body being made of metal, being made of swords, huh? Weird. Is, yeah, huh? is rusting. <laughs> uh-huh, he weird. Tries to he tries to head to the exit, but the wind is too strong. He wakes up to find Ilya watching over him. She tells him he was trying to take off the wrapping on his arm in his sleep. She also reveals why she's been out. She's been cold to Sakura. It's not that she doesn't like her. She just feels she's not suited for Shiro. She also warns him not to try projection magic in his current state. She'll never forgive him if he dies before she can kill him. Mm -hmm. uh, Shiro and Sakura begin cooking breakfast together. While they prepare the food, Shiro asks her if she'd mind if Ilya stays at his house in case she doesn't want to go back to her this home country. This shit is so cute. This shit is so cute. Yes, Sakura says it's not her house, so her opinion doesn't matter. Shiro, however, insists it's her house too, and he can't decide on important topics without consulting her partner. He apparently does not understand the significance of the phrasing he just used, because uh, Sakura mean... just fucking goes wild. <laughs> I mean, like, we, we see him being like this in the Unlimited Blade Works or two after that cemetery scene where, like, yeah. he, the moment he, like, fully realizes the depths of his affection, it is just, like, a, like a matter of course. But, like, I actually really like the matter-of-fact way he just flat-out says shit like, oh, yeah, like, we're partners. I think if this is your house, too, I conceptualize my life in such a way that you're a major part of it. And, you know, I should confer with you on decisions like this because he's too fucking stupid to realize he has basically asked him to move in with him and has basically proposed to her. He is so stupid and it. it's so charming. Yeah, yeah. Like, I can imagine later this day, Sakura is, like, writing Emiya Sakura in her notebook. <laughs> Uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. Or whatever. It is uh, genuinely so cute. Yeah, this this scene is great. Um, as everyone sits down to eat breakfast, they watch the news on the TV. There's a report about the aftermath of the murders from last night. Rin speculates that it's the Shadow Entity's work, but Shiro argues it doesn't make sense. The Entity has sucked up energy from people, but it's never directly killed like this. Mm -hmm. Rin thinks it may be getting bolder now that only one master still exists to oppose it. In any case, it likely wasn't Zokin's work, since he would have cleaned up afterwards to not leave any evidence behind. Uh, <laughs> I, I do love how Rin is just totally correct here. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. Uh, after, after breakfast, Rin takes Shiro to the dojo. Sakura and Ilya follow along, concerned that Rin might be doing something dangerous to him. Rin assures them that she's only tampering with his body for his own good. 
Shiro, meanwhile, trusts Rin, but he wants to know what everyone plans to do from now on. It's a discussion they've been putting off since last night. Neither Ilya nor Sakura want to fight unless it's in self-defense. Shiro and Rin, meanwhile, intend to figure out a way to defeat Zoken. Sakura, however, doesn't want Shiro to fight. She also tries to argue that if they don't do anything, then Zoken shouldn't be too rough. This angers Rin, who asks her if she still thinks Zoken is a human after all the things he's done to her. Sakura admits she never thought he was human. Rin then tells her to prepare herself to fight if Zoken tries to take her. She has to get away at all costs. As long as Ryder isn't defeated, Sakura has a hope of being saved. Rin now goes back to the original topic. She was originally going to implant a switch in him, in, in uh, uh, Shiro, I should say, uh, but with his current circumstances, that would be far too dangerous. Instead, she'll place a bit of her magic circuit in him to act as a warding crest and prevent his left arm from connecting unless he really wants it to be. It should also help him resist the shadow entity. She initially orders him to get naked, but seeing both his and Sakura's shock, she just asks him to take off his shirt. Uh, this whole time, Sakura is not this pleased. This fucking rules, because, okay, so and, important And Shiro is desperately trying to not get a boner about this in front of his girlfriend. The, the funniest part about this scene is the whole time Rin is in the center of the frame, and Sakura is, like, behind her shoulder, like, behind her, continually changing her expression, and always a different flavor of displeased the whole time this is happening. Yeah, it's very it funny. It is so funny. Rin, meanwhile, is just carrying on as if nothing is happening, and there's nothing strange about anything that's that's going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it rules. Meanwhile, it's... Shiro is like, oh god, the girl I used to have a crush on is now touching my my naked oh, no. chest in front the of the girl I, I am currently in... dating. <laughs> oh no, the girl I used to have a crush on, who is her sister, who she has an inferiority complex about, is like touching me, and she's still hot. Fuck, shit, fuck, <laughs> fuck. Um, think about it's, anything it's, it's else. Not a. It, this is probably the one time that Shiro is just awkward as hell, where I am sympathetic to that. <laughs> This is so fun. Shiro is literally one step away from basically going, just think about baseball, man. Just think about baseball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is maybe the only time where Shiro being horny is funny to me. Yeah. And, and it's just because Sakura is here roasting his stupid ass for it. Uh, anyway, after the procedure is done, Rin and Sakura make lunch together. Shiro and Ilya wait in the living room, and Shiro explains their complicated family dynamic to Ilya. They both want to get along, but they've built up emotional walls that they're having trouble breaking down. Uh, re realizing that things probably aren't going to improve without a bit of a nudge, Shiro takes Sakura aside to speak to her in private. He tells her she should try calling Rin's sister to see what happens. He assures her that there is mutual love between the two of them, and simply addressing Rin as family would make it clear to Rin how Sakura feels about her. Sakura tries uh -huh. it when she goes back to the kitchen, and it works just as Shiro said. Uh -huh. It does, however, make them more awkward in the kitchen and indirectly ruins lunch. Uh, okay, so... I love multiple things about the scene. The first yeah. is that... I, like... I love that Ilya is like... 
Shiro, please explain these human dynamics to me. <laughs> just these two as like fucking sports broadcasters to this yeah. fucking uh, uh like uh, uh the these two days made me immediately understand the anime that is just them having dinner. Like like the yeah, fucking the, slice of like cooking anime. Yeah, the dinner at the Emiya household, yeah. Yeah. Like these couple of days just immediately made me go Oh, that's what that show is. Okay, yeah, absolutely. I'm all on board. Uh, these two as just fucking, like, running calling commentary is so fucking funny. Um, <laughs> the other part I love is, the, A, this is maybe, like, the most emotionally evocative seed for me that is in, like, the whole game so far. Like, it, it is just the most heartwarming shit. Uh, and the fact that, like, the resolution is them stupidly being, like, uh, it is It'd be cool if you could teach me your recipes, I guess. Uh, not that I yeah. like you. Uh, just yeah, Rin, this immediately works for me. Yeah, towards her sister. And, and, and Sakura just, like, being ecstatically happy is just like, oh, I just want these two, like, being happy and caring for each other so badly. Yeah. <laughs> it's very good. Mm-hmm. Um, after lunch, Shiro goes to check on Sakura to make sure she's resting. When he, when he knocks on her door, it turns out she was indeed sleeping. Oops. He apologizes for waking her up needlessly, but she admits that if he hadn't come, she probably would have snuck out to start doing some cleaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, she promises to go back to sleep, but she asks Shiro to stay with her a little bit longer first. He agrees to her request and goes to brew some tea for them. Unfortunately, Shiro is too busy staring at Sakura's body to notice that she's trying to get him to say nice things about her. It's not even just that he she's trying to get him to say nice things about her. She basically says everything short of, hey, you should fuck me right now. Yeah. Uh, and he is literally too busy fantasizing about fucking her to have sex with her. <laughs> the, most, like, the most Shiro mistake possible. At, at one point, she literally says, Shiro, I just said something incredibly suggestive right now and you didn't react at all. And he basically goes, huh, what? Huh? Uh, yeah, no, what? What Were you saying, were you saying something? And she basically sighs and goes, yeah, we were uh, talking about how nice Tosaka's food is. Yeah. Uh, and he's just like, oh, thank God, something that isn't talking about fucking. I can manage this. And it's like, <laughs> bro, bro, you were too busy thinking about how hot your girlfriend is to realize she just said you should fuck her. <laughs> he's such a disaster. It is so funny. Uh, she, uh, she still has a bit of an inferior- inferiority complex around Rin. Uh, even though they were separated at a young age, they both still knew they were sisters, so they observed each other from afar. In addition, she always assumed Rin would hate her because of her magic. The Matou family's magic is limited to stealing from other people, but if she hadn't learned it successfully, she would have died. Mm-hmm. Shiro is clearly upset by this, but Sakura insists that his training was more strict than hers. <laughs> uh, uh, quote, I'm fine with getting hurt by others, but I'm scared of hurting myself, she explains. I want to live so I can't end it myself. I don't mind other people cutting my wrist, but I'm scared to cut it myself, end quote. Uh, this is, like, the, maybe the most upsetting moment of the entire route for me. Some yeah. just, like, going straight up, oh, yeah, I'm fine dying. I'm just too much of a coward to commit suicide, so obviously yeah. I'm fine. And, like, clearly meaning it. Like, she genuinely seems to think that this would be, like, comforting to Shira. Yeah. And, yeah. like, and, and, uh, and she... Uh, yeah, like, she, she's saying it 
She's genuinely saying it to be like, oh, your training was way tougher than mine. Here, here's, here's why. <laughs> yes. Um, and like part of the reason this is so upsetting to me is like, this is very reminiscent of what it was like for me when I was in my super bad depressive state. Um, and so it's like, ah, yeah, I know that feeling. Uh, that was a feeling that meant I was extremely not okay. No matter yeah. how much I insisted it proved to people I was definitely okay. Yeah, I, uh, I'll definitely need to add a suicidal ideation tag to the show notes for this one. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, no, like, she basically, like, clearly thinks, oh, yeah, I'm f- I would never commit suicide because I'm obviously too much of a coward to do so. Um but, you know, other people killing me, that's fine and good, actually. So that means I'm fine. And yeah. I just, I just, I want to give this poor girl a hug so badly. Uh, she reveals that last summer she noticed uh, Shiro training in his shed, but she never spied on him again because she was too scared. Quote, your training isn't normal. It looked, to- <laughs> it looked to me like you were stabbing your own throat. It's uh-huh. not that I imagined it, but it really did look that way, end quote. She explains it's not normal to do the things the way he does. No other magus creates a new magic circuit for each spell. Quote, you follow through on what you decide until the very end, regardless of whether it's right or not. So you're probably the strongest one out of all of us, end quote. Uh, I, I really Sakura like finally Sakura. Lied. Go, go ahead. I was going to say, I just, I really like Sakura explicitly pointing out, like, yeah, man, Shiro, like, you're like a regular dude. Like, you should not be able to do magic at all. And no one does magic like that because it would fucking kill them. Like, yeah. the, 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 the reason regular people don't do magic isn't because it's impossible, but because the thing it takes for regular people to do magic is to risk death on the daily every single fucking day. And, like, no. Fuck. No. Fucking no. Yeah, That's that shit. Shira almost has like the opposite problem where he is not scared of killing himself because he al- he already like is viewing himself on, on borrowed time. Yeah, uh, he, he envisions himself like it is the thing that we have hit in every single route. And the thing that has made us most upset about Shira is like this dude doesn't consider his own life as valuable in any way. Uh, yeah. and, Which is hey, why he's gonna... fine with with training with magic that is it that will absolutely kill him if he does it wrong. Uh-huh. Even once. And, uh we're one scene away from having a discussion about that, huh? Uh-huh. Uh, um, Sok- Sakura finally did you have more to say? Oh no, I was, I was just gonna say I just I like Sakura basically being like, You're fucking nuts, dude. Why I don't know how you manage that. No one does this. Yeah. Uh Sakura finally lies down in her bed and asks Shiro to stay until she's fallen asleep. Before she drifts off, she says something strange. She seems to think it's been a while since Rin applied her warding crest to Shiro and remarks it's about to wear off since it won't last seven days. As she drifts off, she warns him to be on. She warns him to be on her guard. Uh, uh, be on his guard against her. Mm-hmm. Um, we next get an interlude that thoroughly destroys any shred of sympathy one might still have remaining for Shinji. I fucking hate uh, Shinji. Yeah. I- uh, I mean, okay. So I, I actually didn't summarize this because I hate it so much. I do too. It, it's Shinji being an abuser. Uh, yeah. it, it is Shinji, like, basically talking about how, yeah, he's an abusive monster towards Sakura and lashed out against her and viewed himself as superior and then realized, er, when he realized, oh no, she was the one who was the actual apprentice, uh, he lost his shit. Um, the only, like, significant thing we get here is that, oh, yeah, 
uh, Sakura's room isn't actually her room. It is literally yeah. just there for show. It is that uh, worm room down below is her actual bedroom. Yeah. Um, Shinji, I have really... I have more complicated feelings about in this room. Uh, I don't. This is the first route I've seen where I don't think it is trying to make me sympathize with Shinji. Um, I think this route fully conceptualizes him as a piece of shit. Um, but inside that, like, it is also reckoning with, like, the ultimate cause of that is Zoken rather than yeah. Shinji. Um, it, it is, let me rephrase, is Zoken and also the Mato family structure as a whole. Um, rather than it being, like, a thing that Shinji himself is just responsible for. Like, he, he was bred to be this kind of monster. Um, and, like, he is still responsible for that and is still a monster because of that, but, like, there's a historical momentum and weight behind him being this way that, like, doesn't make him sympathetic, but makes me put the blame on Zoken and his family beyond just him, if that makes sense. Yeah, like, he may have still been a bully, um, in a different situation, um, but he, he, he wouldn't have, he probably wouldn't have been monstrous without the influence of Zoken and his Straight up, family. Straight up, if Zoken didn't think the abuse of Sakura was useful, he would have killed Shinji. Yeah. The, the only reason Shinji was allowed to continue as he did was because Zoken thought it was useful. Yep. Uh... At dinner, there is a somewhat strange conversation where Sakura asks if Shiro used salt instead of sugar, since she can't taste anything sweet. Rin and Ilya both confirm that the meat tastes normal. Uh, after taking a few more bites, Sakura then changes her mind and says she must have eaten a piece of meat that wasn't simmered properly. <laughs> Shiro just accepts this, but it's pretty clear that something is going on with Sakura's senses. Uh, this immediately reminded me of Tales of Symphonia. I was literally just about to say the Tales of Symphonia coffee scene. The yeah. only scene I know from that game. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, except rolls. in that way, except in that one, in that scene, Lloyd is like way smarter than Shiro uh -huh. is. Uh, which is a weird thing to say about Lloyd in that game. Yeah, isn't Lloyd like supposed to be stupid as shit in that game? Oh yeah, he is. It's just, even in that moment, he is more perceptive than Shiro is here. Um, in the evening, Rin and Shiro head out on patrol. Sakura tries to come with, but Rin cruelly shuts her down, telling her she can't trust her to have her back if Zoken can puppet her at any time. Rin then drags Shiro out of the house. He questions why she was so mean to her, and she claims she doesn't care if Sakura hates her. Shiro can clearly tell Rin is bullshitting and tells her that Sakura already knows how she truly feels and Rin should just be honest. They eventually make it to the park and examine the crime scene. Rin, is, Rin no longer thinks the shadow entity did the killings. If it did, all the mana in the area would have been swallowed. Even mm -hmm. still, she thinks the incident was caused by something having a meal. They aren't able to find anything else on patrol and end up going home empty-handed. On their way back, Shiro asks Rin what kind of magic Sakura uses. Rin has heard that, Ma that Mato's magic is in bindings and coercions. Since they have the same number of magic circuits, uh, Sakura could have the potential to be as good a magus as Rin, but her actual specialty is imaginary element. The Mato family has a water attribute, so they changed her by force. She also reveals the only time she's ever seen Sakura smile was when Shiro was in front of her. Uh, 
Back at his back at his home, Shiro goes to bed. Given the seemingly insurmountable odds stacked uh, against them, he wants to use any weapon at their disposal, including Archer's arm. There is one thing I do want to say um, about sure. that scene with Rin, uh, and it's that uh, rather than like be like Rin is saying, "Oh, she only smiles when she's with you," as like a thing that she seems to think is like kind of comforting and like supposed to make him feel good. Um, yeah. And Shiro correctly goes, that's wait, that up. seems fucked up. Yeah. That, that seems bad. Uh-huh. That doesn't seem great. That seems actually very bad. And it should, like, I didn't realize she only smiled with me. That's the opposite of what I want to be the case. Uh, fuck. Yeah. Uh, uh, so Shiro decides to do a test to see how much of the arm he can handle and unties a bit of the cloth. His body is immediately su- assaulted by pain. Quote, it feels like I'm sitting on a mountain of swords. The air is poisonous and I die three times as I breathe it in. Tongs are inserted from the hollow holes. 32 enter where my shoulder used to be. I see 60 trillion cells crumbling apart at the rate of 3-4 knot per second. End quote. He immediately ties the cloth back on. He realizes that it's not his body will that will die if he takes off the cloth, but his mind. So... So there is something more uh, to that scene specifically that I think is important, uh, which is the physical pain stops. Very quickly, the physical pain stops being physical and starts being the pain of fearing death. Yeah. Which is not a thing Shiro has ever experienced before. <laughs> like, oh, hey, the, the thing that uh, uh, is the synthesis of Shiro and allowing him to achieve a full personhood is also the thing that brings with it uh, the actual fear and terror of dying. Like, oh, that physical pain's gone. It stops being physical pain, and instead is the terror of dying and of self-negation. Uh, uh, it, he has... Uh, he, it literally describes the uh, fear that he experienced as a natural fear um, that, like, is perfectly reasonable to have uh, that he hasn't experienced in ten years. And, like, he hasn't had it all of this time, and that's not great. That's not a good thing. Yeah. Um, And so, like, the pain that he is experiencing here is not, like, a physical one. It is not just, like, a, oh, he is suffering physical pain of being invaded by another spiritual entity. It is, like, hey, you are having to reckon for the first time in your life with the fact that, A, you want to live, and, B, you are afraid of dying. And that's fucking terrifying because you do not have the skills to cope with that. In the same way that, like... Sakura has not, throughout her entire life, built the skills to cope with having negative or, like, petty small thoughts in a way that isn't damaging to herself. Uh, Shiro has not learned in any way how to cope with being afraid of death. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Which is, I think, fundamentally important. Um, Shiro... Especially in the context of, uh, I wanted to bring up um, Zokin at this scene specifically. This is what I was specifically uh, referring to. Sure. Um, Zokin being afraid of, Zokin is the key linchpin uh, for this for me because Zokin's desire for immortality and Zokin chasing death or er, escaping from death rather than uh, uh, embracing it despite that fear is like the thing that makes him so monstrous. Um, and, like, that is what we see Shiro doing here. We see Shiro running away from that fear of death. 
uh, and seeking to avoid what can be mutually or what can be beneficial for the people in his life because he is afraid of death and he doesn't know how to cope with it. And like that's that's the same thing Zokin's doing, and he is not prepared for coping with that in a way to help care for the people around him. Um, and he's he's going to have to be. That is like the trial yeah. here. It's it's uh, very it's very obvious that that shroud's gonna have to come off at some point. Every like, single time that shroud is mentioned, it is everyone's Chekhov's like, shroud. "Bitch, bitch, that shroud's coming off." Kyrie gives him that shroud and basically says, "Now don't take it off." Wink, and every single person around him is like Shiro, you stupid motherfucker, do not take it off. They try and con Shiro into not taking it off because they know this stupid motherfucker is gonna if they give him yeah, any leeway. Yeah, I, I love what Rin does in day twelve <laughs> that we'll um, get to. Yeah, and, and so I, I think it is worth like highlighting here, like it, it is being pretty blatant that this route part of it is like a large part of what this route is about to me is coping with the fear of death as both an inevitability um, that, like, can, if you let it, invalidate your life. Uh, because, like, yeah, if you... Like, I mean, that that is what Kyrie ha- has done, basically, to a degree. It, is He's basically said, well, fuck it, I'm just going to die anyway. It's fundamentally pointless and has embraced nihilism. Um, and, like, uh, uh, Zokin has just fled from death his entire life with no uh, uh, real embrace for it. Archer's death in Unlimited Blade Work uh, was one where he just completely destroyed his ego and destroyed his self uh, in chasing an ideal and refused to acknowledge death as like anything that was, or his own death as anything that was valuable or uh, important or uh, sad in any way. Um, and so in his own way fled from death. And so like a large part of this route to me is finding ways to cope with death that are not fleeing from it as a thing that is sad and heartbreaking while still acknowledging it as like, a yeah, it's a thing that's going to happen. It's a thing that you will have to reckon with because that's what happens to people, but we will have to reckon with it as a part of life. Yeah, uh, and it, it it can still make your life meaningful despite that. Um, and, and struggling to live is part of what makes death sad in and of itself, which is a thing that had been pissing me off about the previous routes. Again, <laughs> we're hitting like, hey, this is the good route. <laughs> uh, so. Just as quickly as the arm had assault, assaulted him, the attack subsides when he uh, puts the cl- cloth back on. Uh, and he finds that he can no longer recall why he was in such pain to begin with. Like waking up from a nightmare that one's memory is already dispersed. The arm is helping him stay alive, but it's no use as a weapon. At 2 o'clock, Sakura comes to his room again and they have sex. After they finish, Shiro immediately falls asleep. Um, uh, not sure if you had anything you wanted to say about this scene. It's um, actually fairly similar to, to the first one. I, I just had one thing, um, which is, I believe when he says, uh, 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 that he, uh, doesn't have a weapon, uh, he basically is, is, uh, again, self-negating because he has no idea how to fight and is unable to conceptualize himself as a person if he does not have access to a weapon. Yeah. Uh, and then as for the sex scene, like, not a whole lot to say here. Um, f- uh, the one thing I will say is that for the most part, it's, it is 
pleasant to have a sex scene that is initiated because both people just want to have sex with each other. Yeah. Um, it, it is, for the most part, like, not weird and consumptive and violent, um, outside of, like... completely fine. Ah! <laughs> uh, there are some tail parts here in the end where Sakura is framed as consumptive. Uh, uh, yeah. Specifically refers to her genitals as, like, a carnivorous plant. Um, yeah. And so, like... <sighs> I, I guess I'm just used to it being way more fucked up than that. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, it, it is <laughs> very mild compared to what the rest of it is. Um... <sighs> I'll have more to say about the follow-up scene, honestly. Yeah, yeah, that one is a little more significant, I think. Um, yeah, this one is, like, fine. Still not hot, it's still bad porn, but it's fine. <laughs> uh, we next get an intermission from this perspective of the shadow entity. It sees the city as submerged in a red, watery substance. It cannot breathe and it desperately gasps for air. It holds many corpses in its black hands and constantly feels a need to gather more. Sakura wakes up from her dream and finds that her aunt, that her hands are soaked with blood. Just in case you are still, you still hadn't put it together who the shadow entity is. Uh, but when she shut, shuts her eyes and then looks again, they're suddenly clean. She tries to head to the bathroom to wash her face, but she can't even make it a few steps from her bed. Her senses and memory have almost completely failed. What's scarier to her, though, is she feels like she's gradually becoming something else. But she doesn't want to tell Shiro about her fears because she believes he'd abandon her if she did that. Um, yeah, the, the actual quote is, uh, she cannot tell him of this dysfunction. If she tells him, it will be back to the cold for her. She cannot return to the cold now that she know, now that she has known warmth. She wants to keep smiling at him. Um, and it's, it's so fucking sad, man. Um, she is so terrified of being left alone and like is unable to believe that anybody would actually be in her corner um and yeah just... even after shiro has already been like look i i don't care that you are a ticking time bomb i still care about you i, I mean because here's the thing like we'll get a conversation with i think it's rin later uh that basically has him going or, or no with Ryder, where uh he basically can't answer her when she's like hey if things break bad uh can you still be by her side and he just is like oh i don't really want to think about this and she just goes you know what fair enough um because like he's it talk is cheap is basically yeah. the thing here like i i don't blame her for not being able to put 100 percent trust in him because that's a big ask that that's a big ask and she spent her whole life being told yeah nobody will actually have your back because again she is an abused child <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I do think this scene is important to talk about here, uh, in for two reasons. One, we get Sakura's desire for sex ends up being like this desire for positive affirmation and affection that she can also only conceptualize as like sexual desire, and because sexual desire is so inherently inflated with violence for her, it can also only be positive affirmation and affection can also only be conflated with consumption and with violence and so like it is this really upsetting cycle for her um that like she breaks out of occasionally but is hard to completely shake um and so her personal or her value as a person to her is only validated when she is sexually active um and like that is immediately it, it is not enough because the moment that she stops having sex 
it immediately is gone. Like, part of this scene is she wakes up and is like, yeah, it's only been a couple hours since we last fucked, uh, and I still feel empty and hollow. Um, and the other thing that I think is important here is uh, the shadow monster is not operating out of malice. It is operating out of what is framed as a desperation to uh, breathe. Yeah, it's a survival instinct. This thing, not only is it a survival instinct, like, this thing is still part Sakura. Like, Sakura is struggling to keep her head above water. She is inches from drowning in the world. And the only way she has been able to stay afloat so long is basically to shunt off the part of herself that is struggling to breathe because she just fundamentally cannot accept these darker parts of herself. And so she broke her own brain because she has fucking magic. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, That turns out to be bad. Um, But like this thing is all of her dark impulses and is struggling to breathe. And the only thing that is like making it any better is consumption. You know, the thing that is the only thing that she has ever felt, uh, uh, been able to frame as validation. And like, man, Sakura is just so sad. I just, I want to give this girl a hug and it would do her no good. What she needs is a therapist for like eight years. Yeah. And none of these characters know anything about therapy. Because they're fucking 17. Yeah. They're the stupidest 17 year olds alive. Uh Uh-huh. She just like, she buries her shit so badly that like when she is placed in a better environment, it breaks her brain even worse because she thinks she cannot deserve this. And so she shunts it off into a part of herself that kills things. I feel so bad for her. <laughs> uh, Sorry, sure. I just, I have a lot to say about Sakura cause I no, love this poor girl. That's, that is fair. Um, Shira wakes up the next day and heads to the living room for breakfast. However, Ilya intercepts him outside the shed and asks him what he's doing. He can't remember how he got here or why he was going to the shed in the first place, but he chalks it up to waking up half asleep. Uh, Shiro actually makes it to the living room this time, but not before meeting Sakura, who has to remind him that they did indeed have sex last night. He then sits down to eat Ilya's burnt toast and almost cooked eggs. (laughs) Ilya's doing her best. Ellie's doing her best, and Shiro is trying his best to support her. Yeah. He fucking talks up burnt toast like, no, it's good, actually. And it, yeah, Min's the, like, what the, the fuck char, are you The doing? char adds a nice texture. And Min's just like, what the fuck are you doing? Why are you eating this burnt-ass toast? And he's like, burnt toast is good, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I love it when my sister makes burnt toast. It's the best toast. Uh, He turns on the TV to a news report about a lot more coma victims and missing people. Uh, After breakfast, Rin takes Shiro to the dojo and asks if he knows what Archer's noble phantasm is. Shiro knows his projection magic, specifically of weapons. Ilya, apparently, was helping Rin with a plan to reproduce a gem sword. However, she doesn't agree with the plan, uh, or she does not agree with the plan. In order to have a fighting chance against servants, Rin wants Shiro to create a conceptual weapon that can exceed servants. Quote, It's an outbreaker that defeats its opponents using the weight of its concept rather than physical damage, she explains. Which is... (laughs) I love when this, uh... When fate does just wild shit with its magic system. 
My understanding of what they're talking about here is that basically the thing that they that they want him to make basically does the equivalent of a judo throw, but with metaphorical conce- concepts instead of like the person's own weight. And so, like the stronger something's con- concept or a, a myth, the stronger the weapon will be against them. Yeah, it, it's like the it's basically the heroic spirit of weapons. It seems like. Yeah. Um, she'll also be preparing some raw materials to supplement Shiro's projection. In order to use Archer's techniques, though, he'll have to get used to loosening the shroud a little bit. Ilya can protect his mind for about five minutes, allowing him to train in relative safety. Rin goes out. Uh, Rin briefly goes outside and confronts Sakura before she starts the training, uh, telling her that she should be in her room resting instead of spying on what they're doing with Shiro. Sakura, for her part, scolds Rin for coming up with a plan as reckless as loosening the shroud. Rin admits it's dangerous, but she realized that if she didn't do anything, Shiro would eventually take the shroud off himself. Her intent was to come up with a plan that would get him to only loosen it a little bit. Uh, Once he's done creating the weapon, she'll have him rest, and even confine him if she must, to keep him out of combat. However, Sakura knows that if Rin's current plan fails, she'll continue to use Shiro as a tool to win. Rin admits she's right about that. She argues, though, that she's not forcing him to do anything, and if he no longer wants to be her familiar, he can simply cut off the arm. Quote, as long as he wants to fight, I'm going to lend him my powers, and I'm going to borrow his power, end quote. Uh, though both Rin and Sakura know here that Rin is being a little disingenuous with that answer. Because, like, she, I, yeah. Rin very well knows that, no, she's not forcing him to, but also Rin knows his personality enough that, like, you can convince him to do anything. I uh, mean, but yeah. Rin also basically, like, the way she frames it here, she basically says, yeah, I, I loosen, I have him loosen the shroud because otherwise he'll just rip the whole thing off in one go, and I yeah. would like to find an option that is not that at the very least. I'm not going to be able to stop him from fighting, so maybe this way he won't take the shroud off as a whole. Yeah. Um, uh, like, yeah, everyone at, knows. At, everyone yeah. fucking knows. But at the same time, like, Rin's, Rin's argument that, oh, she's not using him as a tool is, uh, is not correct, because she, she is using his, his particular tendencies to her advantage. Like, even if it is, even if she is doing it for the right reasons, she is still taking advantage of him, and Sakura is right about that. Yeah. (laughs) Um... Anyway, uh, Mm -hmm. Shiro Shiro regains consciousness at noon. He doesn't seem to remember much of anything that happened between 9 o'clock and the present. He asks her reminded that he promised to go shopping with Ilya for stew ingredients. Uh, They buy a lot of groceries and then head back home, with Ilya Uh, clearly looking happy about spending time with her brother. uh, Sorry, go ahead. I do think it is important to note that, like, it is not he was unconscious and just woke up at noon. It is... No, Shiro has, like, been conscious the whole time. Yeah. Uh, and just lost that whole amount of time. He was fully responding to them. He had full conversations that he does not remember. Uh, and we find out, oh, not only does, like, he not, like, not only did he have full conversations, like, he he did projection magic while he was 
during that time he can't remember. Yeah, it, it, it's much like when he loosened the shroud at night, and when he put it back on again, he can't remember why he put it back on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, like, anytime the shroud is loosened, it seems like whatever happens during that period of time gets completely lost to his memory when it gets tightened again. Um, Almost like somebody this. else takes over. Yes. <laughs> Weird. Uh, at one point when they get to an intersection, Ilya starts to sing a melody that Shiro finds familiar. He thinks he heard it in school as a kid. Uh, the This isn't part of the... Um, like the game, the game, uh, the song that she is singing is a German poem written by Heinrich Hein called Die Lorelei. Uh, the game itself does not give a translation. Uh, Ilya is just singing in German. Uh, mm-hmm. But I was able to find one. Uh, credit for this translation goes to the official website of the uh, Oxford, uh, Le- uh, Le- Oxford Leader Festival, uh, the UK's largest art song festival. I include it here because... Uh, I think there is, I don't think it was included just on accident. <laughs> that, you, you're telling me the whole text of a poem being included in this is maybe the novel being uh, uh, intertextual? <laughs> yeah, so uh, here, here's the translation. I do not know what it means that I should feel so sad. There is a tale from olden times I cannot get out of my mind. The air is cool and twilight falls and the rhyme flows quietly by. The summit of the mountains glitters in the evening sun. The fairest maiden is sitting in wondrous beauty up there. Her golden jewels are sparkling. She combs her she combs her golden hair. She combs it with a golden comb and sings a song the while. It has an awe-inspiring, powerful melody. It seizes the boatman in his skiff with wildly aching pain. He does not see the rocky reefs. He only looks up to the heights. I think at last the waves swallow the boatman and his boat, and that with her singing the Lorelei has done. I wonder yeah, I w- if this I, I wonder could be referring to. <laughs> I wonder uh, who could be the siren in this situation. I think it's Shiro. <laughs> He's just too fuckable. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, no, like it, it is. It is pretty clearly uh, uh, from Ilya's perspective. Like Sakura is Lorelai. Yeah. Uh, uh, and Shiro is the boatman. Well, uh, Shiro is the boatman. Also, she might be the boat. It is. It, I mean, it doesn't map one to one here, but like, it's it's not great. Is the thing. Yeah. It's not great. Yeah, because, like... It is foreboding. Yeah, because uh, we'll get to it in a second, but Ilya has a far less optimistic idea of what's going to end up happening to all of them. I think she's right. Uh, I mean, she's right to think that way, uh, and we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. Uh, as they walk together, Shiro thinks to himself... Uh, I should also note, um, the song that plays in the background here is the exact oh. same one that plays... Oh, it's it's only, from what I can recall, ever played twice in the game so far. Once mm-hmm. here, and once during Berserker's flashback uh, about uh-huh. Ilya, right uh-huh. before both of them are murdered by Gilgamesh. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, it's probably fine. Um, there is one thing I wanted to mention. Uh, uh, before you leave the house to go for grocery shopping, uh, there's one point where Shiro says, in my head are details of every weapon while he's slowly coming back to himself. And then as you leave that scene, the uh, the weapons update, and there's a bunch of new weapons in there. It's such a good detail. It rules. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh as they walk together, Shiro thinks to himself about how normal this all seems. Just a couple siblings coming home from a shopping trip. He wonders how happy it would be if Kuritsugu were standing between them, helping him carry the shopping bags and singing along with Ilya. Shiro asks Ilya if, when the war is over, she'd want to live at his place if she has nowhere else to go. She asks if he says that as Kuritsugu's son. He says yes. He can't take Kuritsugu's place. But he wants to do for her what her father never could. She shakes her head, quote, That's not possible. I can't live long, and you can't live long either. One of us might be able to live a bit longer if the other is sacrificed, but I think having both of us is impossible. If I'm alive after the war, that means you're dead. There's no place for me in your house if you're not there, end quote. She remarks that she wishes she ha- he had asked sooner, since fate may have taken a different turn. At first, Shiro doesn't believe her, but she reveals that Shiro can't reproduce the gem sword using Rin's method because his projection isn't actually projection magic. He can't give something form unless he creates it from scratch. Rin's idea to supplement his magic with raw materials cannot work. His real magic is putting shape to his mind. He'd have to use Archer's arm to make what Rin needs, but that would spell his death. Quote, you know it too, right? You can't choose all, and you can only save one. End quote. Yeah, I mean, the implication here is not only, like, you can only save one, but he is one of those one. Yeah. In this scenario where he is finally starting to want to live. He has things he wants now. Um, here's the thing. Yeah, because because from Ilya's perspective, there are three people right now who are destined to die in very short order: herself, Sakura, and Shiro. All three of which would basically require miracles to save, and the only thing that can do a miracle in such a short time is the Holy Grail. You go, and you only get one wish. It, it's not even that. Here's the thing: so you only get one wish. First of all. Second of all, she's going in order for her in order for Sakura to be saved, they need the Holy Grail. Fundamentally. A, Shiro's only gonna get the Holy Grail by fighting. He's gonna need to take out the Shroud of Terror or Martin to uh, fight, so he's definitely gonna die. Yeah. Uh, Ilya is the Holy Grail. You only get the Holy Grail if she dies. Yeah, her body has to be used. <laughs> if so if Shiro takes off the Shroud of Martin, she doesn't see any way for him to be alive as shiro anymore because she like she's aware he lost that time she's aware he is not like fully there when he takes off that shroud um and so she thinks there's no way for him to still be himself anymore uh so the only way for sakura to live is if they both die the only way for shiro to live is if uh if he basically kills her for the grail um and him letting sakura die would basically be the same as killing himself so that's not an option so that's the only route where she dies she lives is the only one alive like there is no route here where all three of them live let alone two of them um at at least to her mind yeah um 
And, like, there is, part of it is there is an out here in that, like, they highlight, yeah, Shiro's ability is not he makes swords. It is he puts shape to what is in his mind. And, like, when he confronted uh, uh, Saber, like, the thing he had to imagine was beating Saber, not taking her with him, was defeating her. Like, so if if Shiro is able to conceptualize a world in which everybody lives, like he could maybe his magic can make that. it happen. Yeah, maybe maybe that could make it happen if he had the power to do so. Yeah, but like which which is something that like yeah, which is something that was already hinted at back in the Fate Route, if yeah. I recall, um, where uh, I want to say it's Saber uh, who tells him like you like. In order to in order to win, you have to visualize yourself winning. In order to win, you have to visualize yourself winning. Uh, and Archer also tells him in the Fate Route, uh, the only enemy for Shiro Emiya is Shiro Emiya. Everyone yeah. else is inconsequential. The only person who can beat him is if he himself decides he has lost, because his magic is literally, I get to decide if I win or not, because he's the protagonist. Um, <laughs> but, like, it, Ilya is right here to be pessimistic, because, like, the material reality of things is... It seems um, pretty hopeless. <laughs> well, not only does it seem pretty hopeless, uh, uh, there are a whole bu- So, in order for the Holy Grail to uh, uh, become the Holy Grail, it has to have consumed servants. Ilya hasn't consumed any servants. Yeah, the only thing that's consumed servants has been the shadow so far. Uh-huh. The, the shadow. The thing that... Uh, uh, he has that Zoken has been putting into place for like a, a decade and a half, and has been constructing in a specific way uh, a, a tool for the Holy Grail War. Uh, I, I think he has hinted at as being a replica. Great, like we have basically all of the pieces here for hinting that, like, oh, Sakura is like a different twisted Grail. Yeah, or, or like a Grail substitute in some capacity, um, which is gonna. Make what happens next really upsetting. Yeah, which explains why the the shadow um, also has like the effect of the black tar. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it, 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 like it is the exact same effect. It is described in the same way. Like it, it is all of the evils in the world. Yeah. Uh, back at home, uh, Sakura is cooking dinner, but she's making many mistakes due to her due to her loss of physical and mental faculties. She eventually finishes it, and everything seems good, but as soon as they take a bite, they notice that all the flavors are out of balance. It's not bad, it's just weird. Uh, meanwhile, Sakura keeps reaching out for the food, dropping her chopsticks, picking them back up, and repeating the whole sequence of events again over and over. She's clearly trying to pretend that everything is fine, and the other three pretend that they aren't noticing. Uh, it's a very uncomfortable scene. <laughs> Uh-huh. After dinner, Shiro tells Sakura that she should rely on them more. It's not her fault she's like this, and they want to help. She ins- she tries to insist that everything's fine, but Shiro isn't having it. He bluntly states everything that went wrong from her dinner prep until now. However, he's still under the impression that she has a fever. Sakura doesn't tell him what's actually happening to her. Uh, Rin and Shiro head out on patrol in the evening. When they get into town, though, they notice something's wrong. 
It's too quiet. Even the streets, even the street lights are off. In the direction of the suburbs, they see an area of no light at all that looks like a black wall. As soon as he passes through the wall, he feels nothingness, a complete void brought on by the death of everything in the area. The hundreds of people who live there are all gone. The buildings haven't been touched. The inhabitants simply vanished. This whole time, images of his sex with Sakura pop into his head. He realizes that if they come into come to mind at a time like this, they can't be unrelated. He tries uh, to remember what I mean, what it, it's not even just that he realizes it. it. It is, he finally acknowledges, like, the thing that he had been realizing for several days now. Like, yeah. This is like the flat confirmation that he knows. He fundamentally knows. Yeah, he he, he, he knows for a fact that Sakura is the shadow, uh, and he has known, and he has refused to acknowledge it, and he can't refuse to acknowledge it any longer. Yeah. Uh, also, this is a significantly higher body count of like just normal people than we've gotten yeah. in any mm-hmm. of the other routes. Um, oh yeah, this is what like they say something like a hundred or something people. Yeah, I think it... yeah, yeah, they specifically say hundreds of people. Um, so yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, listen, I'm still Camp Sakura can commit a little murder as a treat, but it just it makes me sad now that it's a thing. Now that they've managed to frame it this way, and not just her going sicko mode. Yeah. Um, so he tries to remember what he imagined when he saw the shadow entity for the first time. Uh, the more he thinks about it, the more he feels the sensation he feels in the entity's presence is the same as when he's making love with Sakura. Um, it's specifically when he's making love with her. Uh-huh. Uh, he eventually snaps out of his thoughts, and Ren explains what he suspected. The entity fed on a much larger scale than they've previously seen. She tries to soften the blow by mentioning that the victims would have disappeared right away. They wouldn't have, there wouldn't have been time to feel pain or fear. It was a boundary field of dissolution. The truly scary thing is that Rin couldn't detect the magic. If the shadow did this, that means this is not its magic, but simply a normal thing it does. The entity is growing every day and will be an unstoppable monster the next time it appears. Excuse me, I just need to take a quick drink of water. Um, Yeah, I I do think it is like... Something that is important to point out here is, like, again, we have this uh, demonstration of, like, Sakura and the fact that consumption only amplifies her hunger and her need um, and never actually satiates it, uh, never actually satiates her. Um, like, there, there is no... There is no route by which consumption by harming other people is going to actually help her or make her feel anything other than pain um, and only make her want more because, like, it, it will never actually fill the void that is in her currently. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the, it's only going to escalate from here. Um, like, like, I mean, yeah, in, like... If this were a real thing, yeah, man, like, Sakura has committed large amounts of murder uh, unknowingly, but, like, okay, cool, we could talk about the morals of that, but, like, on, like, just a sheer metaphorical and theoretical level, like, this is a explicit demonstration that the coping mechanism Sakura has had is twofold, is that, A, she buries everything deep down and builds a persona of 
perfection and uh, uh, happiness around the people she cares about and the people who do give her a sense of comfort. And she lashes out and consumes and harms others uh, when they're not those people that she does love. And, like, this is the explicit, literal statement that that is never going to actually help her and never going to actually fix her. Yeah. It, it is the explicit statement that, like, she is a hurt and scared girl who is still inflicting harm on others and needs to find other ways to care for them and to other ways to care for herself. Uh, we now get an interlude with Zoken. Uh, he muses to himself that he was originally content to let the Shadow Entity do what it wants, but he may need to eliminate it soon. He and Assassin are observing Rin and Shiro's movements. Assassin would like to kill them both here and now, but Zoken has other ideas. He hopes to get Shiro to reject Sakura and be the final push she needs to unleash her hatred of the world. Uh, once Shiro and Rin return home and let Ilya know they're done for the night, the three of them head to bed. Sakura comes into Shiro's room to tell him goodnight. He asks her if she was resting like he told her to. She says she was, but she had a nightmare. He wants to ask her what her nightmare was about, but he's too scared that he already knows the answer. Instead, he pulls her close and tells her he wants to have sex with her. Uh, so the, the tenor of this scene is actually much different than the previous scene. Whereas yeah. like the previous one is them um, just wanting to have sex because like they are in love with each other. This is all but explicitly Shiro attempting to satiate the shadow entity so that it does not go out and commit murder and like we know for a fact it doesn't work um because of the scene that's going to come up next and like again this is the metaphor is not subtle here it, it is explicitly stating one person being in love with you is not enough to change your fucking years of abuse and harm and you need to find other routes to care for uh, uh, others and to help yourself you can't fuck somebody better is yeah. basically yeah. The, like I, straight up. I was not expecting the game to have as nuanced a view uh, of trauma response as it does. Like I, I was not expecting it to reckon with, Hey, Shiro being in love with you is not enough or is not going to save her. She needs to find other routes to care for herself and to uh, have others care for her beyond fucking her better yeah because normally like in a visual novel of this particular oove which is largely marketed toward straight guys um mm -hmm. th the answer to people's problems is to fall in love <laughs> like that is the end game um or, or, or like the fall in love is like the thing that there is no extra work that has to go into it afterwards. It, yeah. it is the falling in love itself is enough to do it. And yeah. like it, the but, game feels like it is pretty explicitly rejecting that yeah, as enough. Yeah. Here they admit their love for each other very early on, but that does not solve their problems. Uh, it, right. Like, like the, the game explicitly is like, there is materially more work you have to do to save somebody who is in a position like this. There is more they have to do. There is more you have to do. You can't fuck them better. It will not fix their trauma if you just love them back to health. That's not how this works. Um, and, and, try, and trying to do so 
and pretending it will be enough is only going to let them hurt others and themselves more. Like, it is burying the problem. Shiro knows that she is the shadow and doesn't, and hides it. He doesn't do yeah. anything about it. He doesn't confront her. He doesn't confront Rin. Yeah, he this, say this night to where he, like, does not, like, it con- is. confront Sakura, like, when she says she has a nightmare, is maybe the dumbest mistake he's made in the whole I, game. I, see, if it were another route, I would be madder about it. But because this route is so much about him running from... Like, Shiro is a coward. Yeah. Fundamentally. Like, he runs from his problems when they are harder for him to acknowledge and only embraces engaging with them when he is so deeply cornered that he can't escape. And, like, his strength is that he doesn't just break when he's cornered, but, like, he still runs until he has no other choice. Which, like, yeah, man, you're you're an 18-year-old. I get it. I was stupid when I was 18, too. I made a bunch of mistakes, and I didn't have literal lives and blood on my hands. So I get why you do it, but, like... Shiro, Shiro fucks up here. Yeah. He, he knows. He knows and acknowledges to himself, even if he doesn't say it out loud, that she is the shadow. And he fucks her explicitly because he is trying to give her magic so that she doesn't go out and feed on others tonight. Even though he knows it's not enough. The fact that she ate so many people means there is no possible way his meager supply could ever be enough. Yeah. And he knows that. And he still tries to hide the truth because he's terrified. And, like, this scene is the... This is, again, one of those few instances where, A... So this is not even a sex scene, really. There's, like, no actual sex that's described here. It it is literally... There's, like, literally a line where they say, yeah, we had sex. And they don't talk about it as, like, pornographic in any way. And it's, it's weird, because every other sex scene has been, like, pornographic by rote, and it feels like at this point Nasu just sort of went, fuck it, you know what sex is like, it's fine. That's not the important part here. And I agree, Nasu, you're correct. Th- that is not the important part of this scene. The important part of this scene is Shiro reckoning with the fact that, like, he is not enough to save her. Um, which is more nuance than i thought this game would ever hit <laughs> after the first yeah. two routes yeah it makes me wonder like if this is the one that he thought about first I, if it is not the one he thought about first it is the one that the other two routes exist in service of to me like Heavensfield does not function without Unlimited Blade Works or uh, uh, Fate. But, like, also, Unlimited Blade Works and Fate are, like, so fundamentally lacking without any of the nuance of Heavensfield. Yeah. They, they they function only for me as a counterpoint. Like, I'm like Heavensfield is what makes the game mean something. <laughs> like... Yes. Yes. I, they only exist as, like, counterpoints... At, to what happens in heaven's feel like to me at this point fate and heaven's feel are bad ends or, or fate and unlimited blade works are bad ends yeah i i think that's what i was getting at like during our our first discussion <laughs> of uh 
can't remember if it was our first discussion of Heaven's Feel or the one that covered days seven through nine. I think it might have been the last one. Cause I like, think so. Yeah, both both from a thematic standpoint and also, as I mentioned before, from like a a purely narrative standpoint as well. Like, if you go with the Fate or Unlimited Blade Works endings, like, yeah, sure, Shiro and Rin come out of that okay, but none of the important things were are solved by those roots. Not only are none of the important things solved, their solution is let's further enmesh ourselves in this societal structure that is fucking evil. Yeah. Uh, uh. Um, yeah, it, it's fucked up that the sex scene that I have the most to say about, like, thematically, uh, isn't a sex scene. And the, <laughs> literally just says, we had sex, and at no point is the sex, like described in any real way the, yeah the, the only thing that like really makes it pornographic are the are the images the, yeah they're cgs that are pornographic but like yeah. none of the actual writing here is pornographic um anyway uh we get an interlude of sakura's nightmare she's watching the shadow entity from behind wherever it walks it kills people she doesn't want to watch but she can't look away she feels a sense of intimacy with it. It continues to bring men in and feed on them. Uh, so it, it's phrased like that, but also it's counterpointed by Sakura um, not understanding why men approach it. Um, mm -hmm. Much like you were saying in the first time this happened. Like, Sakura does mention it doesn't seem to be actually doing anything uh, physically to, to bring them in. Uh, yeah. Men just seem to follow it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, suddenly, the entity is interrupted by Gilgamesh. She notices he has the same smell as her. Uh, if we recall, he has been tainted by the Grail during the previous Grail War. Uh-huh. The entity runs from Gilgamesh. He says, quote, I was hoping for a poorly made Holy Grail, but I never expected to reach the actual thing. It is a waste, but I will do the selection myself. Curse yourself for being too compatible, end quote. He cuts up the entity's body with a shower of weapons. It's at this moment that Sakura realizes that the thing is her. She is in pain. Thinking she's still in a dream, she tries to wake up, but she's not able to. Gilgamesh summons another sword and finishes the job by slicing her head off at the neck. However, Gilgamesh doesn't realize he's been trapped too. The shadow has already consumed his feet and slowly digests the rest of him. Sakura is partially healed, but Gilgamesh was not, alone was not enough to heal all her wounds. She will need to consume more. And that's where Day 12 ends. Uh-huh. So, uh, this I think, this to me at least is confirmation that she is if not a grail, uh, a grail-like. She, uh, And not only is she like... So, the Ironsburns made artificial people to be grails with the intention of, like, them being non-persons. Yeah, which is what Ilya like, is. Yes, and Ilya becoming a person is, like, an unintended side effect. Like, the, them being non-persons and being homunculi is a thing that is intended to make them easier to be compatible with the Grail, it seems like to me. Yeah. Um, whereas uh, Zokin seems to have gone a different route, where 
he uh, just tortured somebody until she was compatible with all the evils in the world uh, because she has just been suffering her whole fucking life. Uh, and so, yeah, no, she went evil because she's fucking been suffering her whole life and feels empathy with this, whatever it is that is the evil of the grail, um, is something that is suffering. Like, pretty explicitly to me. And, like, the intimacy uh, uh, Sakura feels is the intimacy of, like, a shared pain. Um which is, to a degree, self-destructive, because they're both just wallowing in it instead of, like, progressing any further uh, or, like, doing anything constructive. They are instead just lashing out in destructive manners. Like, it, it's not healthy, but, like, that intimacy is born out of a, sh- a shared pain. Yeah. Uh, but she is – she is explicitly a grail uh, and also has consumed the most powerful servant of all time. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's actually – it was actually kind of funny to me. How Gilgamesh goes out like a total punk here. Uh-huh. So wait, let, let's think who she's eaten. Uh, Saber? Yeah. Berserker? Though to be fair, she, regur- she did regurgitate Saber. <laughs> Saber's alter now. Uh, uh, Saber's, Saber was regurgitated, but she is, like, consumed in a part of it. Yeah. So, um, like, Saber, Lancer, uh, Berserker, uh, Archer. Um, uh, Caster. Caster. Oh, no, they, she didn't consume Archer. Oh, Oh, yeah, oh, right, yeah. Archer just got killed. Archer got killed and his core was destroyed, but he wasn't consumed. Yeah. Uh, Caster and um, uh, and now Archer. Or uh, Gilgamesh, Yeah, pr- Yeah. So that is fourth, six or fourth seven. Fourth Rail War Archer. <laughs> Two, three, four. So that's six servants, I think? Yeah, every servant except for Assassin, Rider, and uh, Emya Archer. Yes. And, and, uh, a, which is a lot. Is a per- <laughs> it, well, and one of those is a person who has already consumed the grail, uh, or at least part of the grail, uh, which already had the essence of seven servants in it. Um, so, like, hey, you know how many servants you need to uh, uh, finish off a grail? It's six. Well, fuck. Yeah. That's not great. Yeah, um, but I'm sure that's fine. I'm sure it won't be bad. Yeah, I mean, like th- this this scene here where Gilgamesh like kills her more than you could on Gilgamesh k- kills her pretty thoroughly here. Yes, uh, she's super dead. Yeah, uh, more. And it's so fuck. More. This than, scene is so upsetting. Yeah, more than more than Shiro could ever ever hope to accomplish if he decided to pull the trigger on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it 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 is it. it She's now to a point where that can no longer work on her. Um, yes. The other thing is... Uh, but also, <sighs> it, it, it's possible... Though it's possible that uh, part of that is her not wanting to die because, like, she mentions, like, as she's about to die, as, as um, Archer is about to uh bring down his sword on her that she wants to wake up and that she um like she is very happy that Shiro has for the first time expressed ex- explicit desire for her mm-hmm. uh again and she, she does, can and only she conceptualize and, yeah she doesn't want to die now that she's finally experienced that 
again, like, she can only conceptualize validation as, like, experiencing sex and desire. And, yeah. like, again, th- this is the only route where, like, explicit sex scenes being a part of it, I think, does add something. Because it is at least, in part, trying to be about sex. Um, and about people's relationship with sex. Um... And so, like, she can only cons- – like, she is happy Shiro has expressed active desire for her because, like, that to her is expressing love. Um, uh, the other important part is she had said earlier, oh, I would have been fine with somebody else slitting my wrist, but, you know, I couldn't do it. Uh, and we have this moment where we realize, oh, that's that's not true anymore. Yeah, it might she have been the case things- a couple days ago, but no longer now. Right, like, she and Shiro are both in, like, the same boat, where, like, they have things they want now. That is why they're both afraid of death. Like, they, they are both afraid of dying because they have things they want and people they care for and things to live for. Um, and, like, so she clings to whatever she can to let her live a little bit longer. And, like... I'm not saying she is morally justified in committing murder. I'm saying she is an abused child who is clinging to any chance she has at life, uh, supported by somebody who else who is also clearly suffering and lashing out at a world that has only ever harmed it. Yeah. Like that said, killing uh, the fuck out of Gilgamesh is morally good. <laughs> well, yeah, no, that one's just good. He heard yeah. that. That one's great. Um, this scene is very, very like emotionally upsetting to me to watch. Uh, Sakura suffering and being upset, like, made me genuinely very upset to read in a way I was not accept- expecting. Yeah, it's it's rough. Uh-huh. Um, and it's only gonna get, like, it's fucked up how this game takes, like, oh yeah, we're gonna go do two days of, like, a, a happy slice of life fun time and just ruin your whole fucking day. Uh, after you'd gotten used to it by just fucking snapping you over its knee. Um, and like it, it hints at that a little bit with that first conversation with Ilya, because that's like the first time Ilya drops the like little sister Oni-chan character, um, and talks like an adult because she's just like, yeah, man, no, like there, there's not happy endings that come of this. All two out of three of us are dying here. There's no good that comes of it. And pretending otherwise is, uh, gonna break bad yeah um yeah that's 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 ended <sighs> end of day 11 yeah <laughs> yeah uh, can't we're happy fun times to go in day 13 uh where one of the options uh that you'll have to choose between is to kill Sokka or sakura or not so uh-huh <laughs> uh yeah i i, I mean like Okay, so, I, I do think it is worth talking about knowing that as a choice come up, because, like... And also knowing that that is a bet a... That is explicitly a dead end. It, yes. So there are two things here, which is, one, uh, uh, that is the choice that was already... It, that choice had already been made. We know for a fact that choice had already been made. That was the resolve that uh, Shiro made on day nine, which is to not kill her. Yeah. Like, that choice had already been made. It, it is make the choice, test the resolve, which is, like, the the kind of pattern we'd seen in every route. Uh, and so it is interesting to see it here um, because 
the thing that it's testing is not just uh, make the choice, test your resolve, but rather make your choice to be counter to the previous iterations we've seen, test your resolve to stick to it, despite those previous routes that we'd seen where you chose the other one. Because, like, Shiro of Fate and Shiro of Unlimited Bladeworks kill Sakura. Yeah. That is the choice he has to make. Yeah, because to him, like, that's that's what saves the most people. That's what saves the most people. That's what being a superhero is. Um, And, like, not only, like, is that what being a superhero is, but, like, Day 9. We know that's the choice he makes because that's the choice he makes on Day 9 if he chooses to be a superhero. He, he goes and chooses to let Sakura die. And so, like, it is important that the choice here is not the easy, tragic option of, oh, you kill the person who's done evil. It is, you let them live and do what you can to care for them. Um, yeah, and so I'm, I'm excited. So it's what, four days left or five? So we're going to be covering 13, 14, 15, and then 16 and the, like, 16 and the endings, yeah. Okay. We are almost there. Yeah, we're almost done with this visual novel. Fuck, it's only been like a year. (laughs) (laughs) we started this in april so it's been like um, half a year yeah it's been four months been four or five, four months. five months yeah um yeah do, do you have anything more to say about these three days because I, I i have yelled enough uh taken up enough airtime that i can i can be done <laughs> no I, I i don't really have anything to say that you didn't already cover okay <laughs> Um, okay, yeah, in that case, we can probably wrap here, and we'll be back with the uh, penultimate episode. Yep, uh, for <laughs> even more fun times. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, you can follow me on Twitter at StillsTheGM. Oh, yeah, I guess you can follow me on Twitter at RhetoricAcrobat. I don't know why you would. <laughs> uh, and uh, remember, um, podcasts end when they stop recording. It's true, they do.